it became painfully clear it's only happening if we fund it. And once we realized that, well, then it became, well, wait a minute, you know, we're not just going to fund the business community out there to go make a profit. We're building something that is ours that we absolutely rely on and need. Hello, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Communities in Maine have been in the municipal broadband network news pretty frequently this past year. Rockport, South Portland, Orono, and Old Town are just a few communities engaged in some form of connectivity improvement. The state is taking action this year also. At one time, there were over 30 bills in the legislature aimed at improving broadband in Maine. Islesboro is a small island community in Maine that recently voted to fund an engineering study. This community has its own special situation, with a small year-round population that multiplies when vacationers come to the island. Paige Clayson, owner of a technology support group and manager of Islesboro's Broadband Working Group, visits with Chris in this podcast episode. Here are Chris and Paige Clayson from Islesboro, Maine. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Paige Clayson, who's the owner of a technology support group and manager of the Broadband Working Group in Islesboro, Maine. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. Happy to be here. You and I met at the uh, the Maine Municipal Technology Conference just recently, and I had just been through Rockport. I think I think I glimpsed your island maybe just briefly off the coast. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about Islesboro. Well, it's a little island about three miles off the coast of Maine, about halfway up the coast of Maine. And uh, it's it's a long, narrow island, and being an island, of course, uh, it sticks up with uh, the rocks that are sticking out of the water, so that makes it hard for the wireless signal. <laughs> we have about 600 people year-round out here, and in the summer, it uh, gets very busy. It can go up to a couple thousand people, so it's a, a very busy community in the summer. A lot of activities, art shows, and just many different activities going on nonstop. And then, but then in the winter, you know, come up maybe. Uh, September, October, things slow right back down, and things return back to the uh, tradesmen who uh, do all the painting and carpentering and the rest and keep the town running and ready for another season. And what's it like being an island community? I mean, how how is it different from from any mainland community? Well, there's, there's certainly differences, uh, good and bad. And um, it certainly takes a unique individual who wants to live on an island, and that, that is certainly... Interestingly, one of the things that attracted me to uh, your material when I first ran across it, when you're talking about the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, because living on an island, that is certainly part of the story. You, you've got to be self-reliant. And uh, we, we deal with that kind of a thing. We deal with isolation where, you know, you can have storms that come and the ferry boat won't run. So you either don't get to the mainland or you'll be late to work. And, you know, the, the stores, there's not many stores out here. So they, they close at 5 o'clock and you either have what you have or you don't have it. You're going to wait till tomorrow. So you, you plan ahead a lot out here and you, you're very flexible. So it's certainly a different life than the mainland in that way. You can't just hop in your car and go somewhere. And some people have boats, they can get over to the mainland, but then you still have to get around over there. So it altogether, you know, it can make for isolation. But the flip side of all that is the community is very strong. It's a very strong sense of community. We all help one another and, and uh, it, it definitely makes it a very uh, warm place to live. Well, I think one of the things that you have in strong similarity with many of the folks uh, in Maine who are not on islands is that 
the state of your internet access is quite poor, and you're they're looking for ways to improve it, uh, which is you know something that you and I have talked about in the past. But um, why don't you tell us how what what is the connectivity like on the island right now? In general, most people are hooked up with a DSL. We have some with a older fixed wireless system, and then there are some with uh, the mobile wireless, and then there are some poor souls that are on the satellite or even dial-up. Uh, and there and there are some spots where dial-up's the only thing you can get. So it, it's definitely pretty spotty, but like I say, the majority are with the DSL. That's some of what I would, in general, say is our best out here, which you know, we have three distribution points on the island for that DSL, and it depends how close you are to those, whether you get reasonable signal or you get very poor signal. So I'd, I'd say in general, most of our people are around three megabits down, one megabit up. But, you know, there's a few that can get actually 15 down, and, and pretty much anybody is one up. So it's, you know, it's not very robust and very spotty. You can have DSL or, or any one of those solutions in one house, but the neighbor can't get anything. We have plenty of plenty of problems where it's just not consistent. Then the network will uh, the speed will will vary, or the the connection itself will just drop off for half an hour or a few minutes at a time. The kind of thing where it's almost there but not quite. It's very frustrating. And as a technical person, I'm sure you knew what was going on, and and probably were frustrated before a lot of your neighbors. But uh, you know, what did you end up doing about it? Yeah, that that's how it started for me. I moved I moved back to this island. Uh, I don't know, a little over a decade ago, and I came here from Denver, and uh, at that point, I I had uh, DSL in the house out there, so when I came back, <laughs> I, I had to go back to dial-up. That was pretty hard to cope with, and, you know, over the years from there, the uh, the DSL and the other solutions started coming, and, and I was supporting the technology around town, so absolutely, I, I saw pain everywhere I went, you know, people trying to get faster speed or, or just any speed at all. I bet you really wanted to get back on the island if you were willing to go back to dial-up. I, I grew up here in Maine and then uh, took off, went around the country. I was living out in L.A. for over a decade, 15 years, I guess, and then and then Denver for a while, and I just had enough of the city. I wanted to move back here, so came back to this island and uh, decided, you know, it's the time to, to get out of the, the rat race and settle into something that's got, got some real foundation to it, was the way I looked at it. So, so absolutely, it was a real sacrifice at that point in time, and Certainly part of what we're looking at um, to, to put the broadband out here is to make it where people can be here without making a sacrifice because, you know, as you know, this connectivity is no longer really an option. It's, it's mandatory if you want to participate in many facets of the world. And uh, that, that's certainly what we're looking at is we want to have it where people can be here without sacrificing their connections to the world. You had a, a really good session, I thought, at the uh, the broadband conference put on by the or the technology conference put on by the Maine Municipal Association, and and in it, I asked you the question of you know what is the dynamic in terms of the impact of better internet access on the island because presumably you'd have more people visiting and and more economic activity and that sort of thing. But you said it's actually kind of a mixed result because not everyone wants everyone uh, to be coming out to the island for vacation. Um, Can you just tell us what was happening there? It's it's a bigger picture uh, of what's happening in the island altogether. You know, we're going through a transition here, I think, in the state, the country altogether. There's a lot of transitions going on. It it is uh, quite a challenge to uh, to maintain these communities. So there's different undercurrents of what different people think the community should be, or and there's people who have their idea of you know where it's coming from, what it was. So 
you know, when you get back to, you know, specific what you're asking about, there, there's definitely some people who look at it like this is a year-round community, and there's some people look at it like this is a summer community, and, you know, it's obviously a year-round community that is heavenly seasonal. And so, uh, indeed, when we were looking at what kind of services we'd be able to offer and who would want them and what they'd be willing to pay and, you know, those types of issues, some of it is, you know, there'd be a large seasonal population that would want to have seasonal shutoffs, and that certainly could cause a challenge for us in, you know, in the whole modeling of the revenue. You know, we could really look at the economic impacts of what would it be if more people would come here and stay longer for the summer or want, want to have you know, more people buy some of these houses that are sitting empty. And, yeah, indeed, there are some people here who they like the peace and the quiet. They want it to stay peace and quiet, and they, they don't think we need to have a greater population or, or the summer crowd staying longer. But, you know, there's plenty of other people who, who think, well, no, I mean, that's good and healthy. So, you know, some of that makes the, the politics a little harder when you're trying to, uh, trying to really decide how you're going to structure the, uh, the whole revenue and how you're going to uh, announce it and, and uh, message it out. I mean, that, it adds uh, complexity. So what is the solution that uh, you're currently looking at? I know you had a big vote, and I think we'll have a little bit more of a discussion on that in a couple minutes. But, but why don't you tell us about the approach you're moving forward with? We, we did just have a vote, and, and that vote was for uh, just over 200000 to let us go through and do the engineering design for the system and then to uh, do all the contract negotiations, the operating plans, and select a, a contractor, and then we'll go back to the voters again for a final decision. And in, in this $200,000 effort that we're going to do between now and the end of the year, that's going to really allow us to answer definitively how we're going to handle it uh, but what we what we did was a lot of work from the initial studies, the feasibility studies, and then a lot of uh, high-level engineering and design and uh, uh, negotiations, trying to figure out the models that could work. We did a lot of lot of exploration of a traditional um, traditional multi-tiered uh, plans where you could have you know so for example three megabits down or 500 megabits down or 1,000 megabits down for different cost structures. And so when we looked into that, we we really found a way it could work, but then we had uh, some uh, of our residents asking about, well, why don't you just put everything in the tax uh, under the property taxes so that it's just a community service like the roads or the school? And so we're exploring that as well. Um, and, and there's actually you know, some hybrids of those or other solutions that we're going to be exploring, but that's exactly what we're going to be answering over the next two or three months on our side. The engineering group, they'll be working on all the nitty-gritty, the details of you know, the equipment and the, the fiber and all the rest, but, you know, we're going to be looking more uh, at the operating, uh, the operating plans and, and how it can work for people. So that, that is still an expiration, but certainly the, uh, the tax-funded approach has a lot of positive aspects to it. And, you know, on the other side, the, uh, the subscription approach, that's something people pretty well understand. So we're going, to, we're going to answer those and, like I say, look at other possibilities that come out of this, uh, this research that we're going to be into. One of the things that I think struck me when when you were first speaking about it and and when you and I talked a little bit was you were very matter of fact about it I thought when when discussing the idea of potentially um funding it with tax revenues or tax dollars and saying um you know we're going to look at this like it's infrastructure and when why make it so complicated let's just get it done um you know is, is that something that you felt that there's just this sort of pragmatic approach of let's just find a way to do it 
Oh, there's no question. I mean, certainly through part of this this uh, feasibility study we did a while back, and the RFP, the RFI process of trying to find vendors to work with us, it became painfully clear. It's only happening if we fund it, meaning the community in some fashion comes up with the the majority of the money. And once we realized that, well, then it became, well, wait a minute. You know, we're not just going to fund the business community out there to go make a profit. We're, we're building something that is ours that we absolutely rely on and need. So, you know, absolutely, there was a, a you know a solidification. I, I certainly have viewed it that way, I think, from the beginning, but uh, in the in our working group and, and definitely extended into the community, there was a solidification of, hey, you know, this is just as important as the roads or as the school. And uh, absolutely, that's the way we're, we're approaching it right now. Now, the, the question is, what's going to work with all the FCC regulations and, you know, the, all the legal side of the structures of the entities involved and so on? We've got a lot of questions to answer with that. But underneath it all, that is our, our view is you know, the Internet is fundamental. It is infrastructure that any community is going to need and it absolutely is something that the communities are going to need if they feel their people are going to have equal opportunity in the world that's unfolding right now. Sometimes when communities think about paying for these sorts of things with taxes, it's perceived as being anti-business. But I get the sense that you have a lot of support from from one of the the businesses that you've been working with, GWI. How are they reacting to your ideas? Well, GWI has been fantastic all the way along. We've we've been really fortunate with them. They 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 do a good job, I think, uh, serving the people of Maine as opposed to uh, just pursuing profits. And uh, I think that's been excellent for us in, in this whole journey where they've had to do a whole lot of uh, exploration with us to try to explore and find out what can we really do here. So, uh, so far, I've been really happy with what they've helped us come up with. And I think the idea is, you know, we're talking open access is what we're really exploring. So, you know, in, in the scenario we see unfolding, GWI would, uh, would do the retail services. So we'll back up one step and say what we're looking at is the community. We're going we're gonna to build and own the, the, the fiber network. And then what we're going to do is partner with GWI, and then they will operate it and maintain it. And they've been very flexible at, uh, at finding a way to do that. We're looking at the open access approach where they would do the retailing of the services to our community members for Internet and phone services. And um, then they would also wholesale to any other providers that want to come to our, our residents. And from my perspective, in these rural states like this, I think that's the only way you're going to see competition. And that, that for me, is a, a very important issue where competition is what we need, but where we're struggling in a state that just doesn't have real competition. The only way you have it is one line coming to a house or one real solid connection like this with multiple providers on that connection because the only other way I understand the competition is is you know three or four or five or six different uh, connections to a house and, and that house can then choose which provider is the best one and we're in a state where uh, we're, we're lucky to have one so where's the competition so I, I don't see it at all as anti-business I see it quite the opposite and I think GWI has uh, supported that as well and one of the things that I, I also found interesting about the island community is, is this is, a, as you said, you have thousands of people that come out there in the summer, but the decisions are made by people who live there year-round, right? I mean, it's an age-old problem. You know, you get some people screaming about uh, taxation without representation, but, you know, they, they make the choice not to live here. They make the choice to have their residence somewhere else. Um, so, you know, in, in that sense, then they can't, they can't uh, vote for it. There's 
different ways it unfolds where they do have a say. Uh, you know, for example, if we went down a subscription path, uh, you know, they have a say whether or not they want to join into the uh, subscription. So in the beginning right now with where we're at, you're, you're correct about that. We just made this vote uh, just just last week and last Saturday, a very good vote. And uh, it was only island residents, the, the registered voters, who were able to vote on it by state law. So indeed, the rest of them, they're along for the ride. Well, I think you, you can make a case that, that if you're someone who's only going to be paying for it three months out of the year, that you're never actually going to really pay for the capital cost of having it. And so, you know, I, I, w- I might think that for people who are not registered to vote there, um, it might only be fair to charge them a high connect fee or something like that, because why should the island be subsidizing the, the capital costs uh, for people who are only going to pay for service a part of the year? There's so many so many issues mixed in, but, I, you know, the one that makes it, I think, a little easier to really converse is the roads you know it's it's, a, it's very much like you're saying there they're only there for part of the year but those roads need to be there all year long to maintain the community and that's part of the story they might not be here in the winter but they're not going to have a community to come to if we can't maintain a year-round community and you know before we got started in all this part of what part of what got us on this path was uh, an economic development group that was looking at the pressures we were facing in, in maintaining a year-round community and we felt that this was one of the serious ones. This in preschool, there, there are others, but in this last election, we, we voted to uh, support a preschool, and we also voted to put this in. And I think that's definitely part of it is we see this as mandatory part of maintaining a community. So the, any of the people who are here part-time, if they want to believe they have a community to come to, they've got to help contribute to that. Well, is there anything else uh, that we should know about Islesboro and your project moving forward? Well, I think we're going to find that all out pretty soon. We, Like I say, we just had the vote uh, last Saturday, and so just this morning we had our first uh, orientation meeting about what we're going to do next, and, and I think some very exciting things are going to start coming out in the next several months as we really get the final answers about how this is going to work. Stay posted, and we'll, we'll see how it unfolds here, but I, I definitely feel very positive about it. Our, our community was very, very vocal in, the, in their support at the vote, so... I think uh, it all bodes well and looking forward to seeing what the final solution is. Well, terrific. And uh, just for people's reference, that was uh, May 30th was the, the day of the vote. Uh, this this re- conversation may not run for a few weeks as we're getting our schedule set. So um, so thank you so much for, for coming on and telling us more about uh, the network and your approach. And we'll be checking in with you over time because we want to follow what happens. Well, I look forward to that, and I'll definitely be following up with you as well on (laughs) trying to learn more of what you've got to help us as we answer these questions in the next few months. We want you to send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. If you use Facebook, be sure to like our Community Broadband Networks page. You probably noticed the new music this week. We want to thank BKFM B-Side for their song, Raise Your Hands, licensed through Creative Commons. Have a great day.